Subak Ul Kuhar, and welcome to Gam Jabber with the Mod Dweebs, a Dune podcast full thorough and flippant. We are drinking our way through Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi magnum opus, Dune. Two chapters at a time, uncovering the deepest of secrets and Dune-spiracies along the way. I am Josh Stevens, our fearless troubadour, Gurney Halleck, and of former Live Off Groupon fame. And here are my co-hosts. What up, nerds? Dr. Reverend Mother Lillian Banana Moyham Brislin, coming to you live from Dune Techie. Shout out to Dune Techie. Uh, keeper of the Hattersnacks, uh, keeper in line of the Josh One More Thanks, and general inebriate initiate. Thank you for joining us today. Good to see you, Dr. Ramblam. And I am Alec Boyle, your Baron Harkonnen, your editor, your engineer, and your squeezer of spice planets. <laughs> Uh, Baron, when you're when you're squeezing the spice so that you can dole out like a, like a spice bribe, um, what like form? Like where where do you put it? Like do you put it in a brick? Do you just put it in a little plastic like little baggie? Like how are you doling out the spice bribes? So here's what I don't understand about this, right? I I go to Arrakis, right? I send my men to Arrakis, and my men are in Arrakis, and they're like, oh, we need like eighty million dollar trucks to get this spice out of the dirt, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I read this, you know, uh, Agricultural Practices of Moadib by the Princess Arulan, and she says that the Fremen women in the southern desert just, like, hang out and gather it by hand? What the fuck is up with spice? Well, there's, like, ten million of them. The Harkonnens Maybe. have, like, a few thousand people on the planet. There's ten million. You got, you got five million Fremen women... They got nothing to do at night but pick up spice off the sand. And I guess they don't attract... I'm going to stop you there. <laughs> I'm going to stop you there. They have plenty to do. They have plenty to do. I was being flippant, <laughs> Dramblam. No, 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 no. I, I have no sense of humor. I'm a woman. Josh, what do you expect from me? <laughs> <laughs> I could only be literal and a mean feminist. <sighs> but do you do you imagine it is like... Uh, the gold prospectors. So let's imagine what's that Deadwood, right? Is it or um? Oh yes, the Wait. sweet old man in Deadwood who's picking out the gold flakes from did, the sand. Did you just draw, Is it like that with spice? Yes, you just drew a picture of Fremen women sifting spice like they're sifting cat litter. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on. So here's my thought about this though: when the Fremen gather spice, they don't attract worms. Maybe the reason that off-worlders need machinery is because you need to get as much out as quickly as you can from one place because you know the worm is going to show up. Whereas if you're Fremen, you can literally just go out with your kitty litter scoop, right, and gather drugs, plastic, fuel, uh, and geriatric drugs off the surface. No effort. It's... It's almost as if the logic of colonial capitalism is inherently violent and produces violent through its own means. Isn't that weird? Is that weird to anyone else but me? It's almost also like it's really weird that (laughs) off-worlders never figured out that if you just kind of walk stupid, the worms don't show up. The Fremen Ministry of Silly Walks. Let's talk more about that. (laughs) Worlds collide. All while. right, all right. Let's get let's get serious, kids. What are we doing here? Oh shit, we're re- we're looking at two chapters here. this week, uh, following uh, the Baron's um, stomping 
Stomp floated Raging. through the hallways. He raged. He, ra- he, ra- he, yeah, he raged through the hallways. Rageful suspenser <clears throat> floating. He was raging against his machine. I just imagine still that those suspensers added a little extra aggressive jiggle <laughs> to the walk. You better jiggle that walk. We again have two chapters very closely related because uh, they take place during the same period of time. One is from Paul's perspective and the other from um, Jessica's. Yeah, ma- mostly. Um... So do we want to kind of do it like the last one where we do like the quote, rundown, quote, rundown, and then just talk about them together? Or you yeah, to I think we should, because I think there's going to be cross-references. Um, so, Lily, why don't you do the first quote for us? There is in all things a pattern that is part of our universe. Symmetry, elegance, and grace. Those qualities you find always in that which is true, a true artist captures. You can find it in the turning of the seasons, in the way sand trails along a ridge, in the branch clusters of the creosote bush or the pattern of its leaves. We try to copy these patterns in our lives and our society, seeking the rhythms, the dances, the forms, the comfort. Yet, it is possible to see peril in the findings of ultimate perfection. It is clear that the ultimate pattern contains its own fixity. In such pattern, in such perfection, all things move towards death. From Collected Sayings of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. Again, no one. Absolutely fucking no one. Muad'Dib. It is clear that the ultimate pattern contains its own (laughs) fixity. In such perfection, all things move towards death. He must have been a real... (laughs) Real life of the party sort of dude, right? Um, Everyone just wanted to touch him. It honestly Um, makes me think a little less of Chani that she put up with this guy. Well, at the end of the next chapter... you cannot judge... (laughs) Just putting this out there, I don't actually have a conversation about it. Like, can you judge people for their partners? This is the thing I ask all the time. Like, you meet someone, you meet their partner, you're like, does that, do, what, how do I, so do you have people in your life, you're like, you really like one person, but not the other, but you're like, do I don't get it. Yeah, we, I mean, anyway, uh, let's do the 30 second, but I just would say a lot of this chapter and the next uh, very heavily evokes Saber to Paradise, so... Uh, plagiarism city for cool. those of you that are just joining us on gom jabber on the mood Dave's, this is a book that frank heavily plagiarizes <laughs> that apparently only alec has read so anytime something cool comes up he likes to say sarah's a paradise so well, i found this this, aw- this awesome source material and i said boy you read it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really Josh's fault. <laughs> and it's working out perfectly um so in this chapter, um, first Paul has a little um, like existential moment where he thinks, therefore he is, and then he isn't because he's not sure if he's in the present or the future or the past, and he's in the future. And uh, this is something I think I tried to talk about a couple weeks ago um, and maybe completely failed on it. But basically, he doesn't know that the things that he is seeing in his mind are now, or in the future, or in the past. He just can't tell. He knows that they're, He knows that some of these things are totally real, and I think this is the point. If he sees something, and he knows that it's a fixed memory, it's something that either has happened or is going to happen for certain, they seem the same to him. They're not still wavering as a possible future. So when he sees something that seems like a memory but it's still something in the future. He just knows he hasn't gotten there yet, and that's why he can't tell where he is in time. Well, and so, 
this ties into, right, he, he talks about this a lot in this chapter. He's about to take one of his two tests, right? And he doesn't explain exactly what the second one is, right? The first test is, can he get his driver's license? <laughs> Which, the, the, that metaphor is not subtle, right? He's like, true. <laughs> our warrior prophet king can't be getting dropped off by his mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... And this is him get, just getting his regular driver's license. Like, he's not even getting his CDL where he's got to, like, carry a dune trailer behind. Right. right. Like, right, this yeah. is just the regular test. Um, I like that the driver's license test is essentially would be like if our driving test was to stand on the track of the Indy 500 <laughs> and then try to jump in the window of a car, push somebody else out of the driving. <laughs> That's that's essentially the test, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's even more. It's more like jump on an eighty five hundred car and then like stab the car in the right ways to make it go where you want. That's true. You're driving it by stabbing in the roof. Yeah. But he keeps basically um, foreshadowing in this right that like his foresight is not good enough for him to really tell what's going on. Um, but. There is another test he could take that might make it so he could tell what's going on. Sure. And, you know, also, I'm still going to contend. You say that his foresight's not good enough. I'm going to say that there is still a chance that his foresight is so good that the lesser man who could only see, you know, some foresight, right, would only see, like, one possible future and just assume that that's the real future, even if it's not. But Paul sees all of them sometimes. No. No. I've... Either one of you, go ahead. I the, this this chapter just put the nail in the coffin of like Paul is just a he's his own manic pixie dream boy. He is super manic. He has these like hyper now spice infused. So if any extra prescience to his terrible purpose is coming in these chapters, it's because he's tweaked out of his gourd on spice. We even know that his eyes are turning blue. And this was all it is just speculation. I'm always curious of this line between prescience and speculation, and I am more and more coming on the side of speculation. Sure, he has he has very good analytic capacities where he is taking inputs like a mentat. We know he is. He's beyond a mentat, which that's for a later discussion. So that's where I'm at. Boyle, where are you at? So where I am at is I guess I'm going to very uncomfortably and weirdly defend Paul here. You, the Duke apologist, the Frank apologist becomes a Paul apologist. The lesser clairvoyant, right, would have said that Donald Trump would lose in 2016 because Donald Trump had the minority chance of winning. But Paul is too worried about the fact that a one in three chance of Donald Trump winning in 2016 happens one out of three times. And that's why he needs to look into the place where others dare not look. Not sure how that's defeating. I think that's just proving. Oh, I guess I thought you were saying that, like, he was too worried, but I think he's exactly right. I guess maybe we're in agreement and I misunderstood. I'm saying he's so he's so good at seeing the future, he sees more futures. I'm saying the same thing. We're all, oh, gosh, guys, this is a dream <laughs> really? alignment. If the, for me, the question is, is it some sort of mythical magic ability or is it just a hyperactive, very analytic brain that is taking inputs mm. and computing possible futures? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly what it is and what it's supposed to be. You are, you are as always, the most articulate and correct. 
quick. Yeah, and they they even prove that in this. They 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 actually they they they, Frank says that agrees in this chapter because he talks about, um, I guess maybe it's the next one, how the Fremen have some very minor, like like hive mind collective psychic coffee. Yeah, psychic coffee ordering. Well, so let's um, do what we said we were going to yeah. do. That's different. Let's, okay, we didn't do the let's, 30 second rundown yet. Well, yes, we but did. let's, yeah, let's, let's quote, because it's not much to run down, right? Yeah. Let's quote and do a 10 second rundown of the next chapter. I will read the quote. All right. It's a good one. Yeah, I know. I should have just let you go. Well, just do it again, Lily. You get both quotes. Alec, by all means. I did mute. Maybe in the future, uh,. We can start doing like one person always does the quotes, and I always do the thirty seconds because I do think I'm the briefest by like a mile. <laughs> Agreed and, and disagreed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you control <are>? and no and no <laughs> control the coinage and the courts. Let the rabble have the rest. Thus the Padashah Emperor advised you. And he tells you, if you want prophets, you must rule. There is truth in these words, but I ask myself, who are the rebel and who are the ruled? Moadib's secret message to the Lansrad from Arrakis Awakening by the Princess Arulan. Secret message? Until, right, yeah, his copyrighted <laughs> message, she I think, is what it. she meant, yeah. <laughs> I love this quote. It's so shady. It's Paul being like, wait, what's the rabble? Oh, I'm confusing rabble with other books I've read. What is the entomological origin of rabble? I don't know. Rebel. You're the academic. Oh, okay, you all discuss You all discuss this quote, and I'm going to do some good. Okay, great. So right. my main quick thought on this quote is the, the sentence, if you want prophets, you must rule is both a truism and fucking stupid gobbledygook. Like, that accomplishes nothing. (laughs) A boil rules. (laughs) Why would the emperor say that to his nobles? Why would the nobles, like, give it any credence? Like, yeah, okay. Right? If you control the flows of money, you get the most money. We know. It's... I I think I know what's going on here. So, basically... The emperor has screwed over so many houses of the Landsred that he can't get anyone who wants to be part of the Landsred. And so he's trying to convince people, guys, if you want the profits, you got to rule. Join. This is his, this is his join my Landsred um, thing. And he's, I think he's really only doing it to people that he knows he can destroy. Because if he can control who's in it, you know, he doesn't have to worry about them coming after him. Right. And I, yeah, no, I mean, and the first part makes perfect sense, right? He's just saying, like, I'm not going to actually bother controlling monetary policy or legal policy, but I need a bunch of people who answer to me to go do so. And I guess it also, it ties back to the first chapter of book three, uh, where, oh no, the second, the Thufer conversation, right? Where Thufer basically implies that the Carinos are a bunch of um, up-jumped raiders, right? That just by having the best army at some point 10,000 years ago, they conquered the other planets. Mm. All right, I'm going to get real academic for like two seconds. Would you please? So 
here's here's what I want to say. The, the reason I got excited about this quote is it actually feels like some pretty Marxist analysis. Bear with me. Very brief. So coinage and the courts. So Marx has this idea of the base and the superstructure, which is to say, so Marx's theory is all, Marx is an economic theorist. He's seen as a political theorist. He also has political theories about how the world should be run, but his, his origins are in the way that economic systems work, namely capitalism and the origins of the evolution of capitalism. That's all I'll say about that. And the idea of the base and the superstructure, the base is the means of production. So how the spice is made. So the coinage, as we know, in Chombucks comes all from spice and spice production. So he who controls Arrakis controls the universe because coin, spice bribes, coinage, spice. So controlling the ornithopters and the, the yeah. secretion of spice, all those things. Okay, I knew I had you guys. The relations of production. So how the rest of Arrakis and the movement of spice uh, controls the flows of coinage through the universe. But that's not enough. So chome is the coinage. Chome is the base. The superstructure is the court, is is the society, is the art, is the um, the landsrad, is the social norms and structure around all of the houses of the empire. So if you control Arrakis, you control the courts. And uh, the rabble can have the rest. And so I think he's just sort of fucking with the brains of the Lanzaret to say like, you don't have Arrakis. Like y'all don't know that you, you y'all know that y'all don't control the base, but you do control a good part of the culture around this. You're maybe sending your people here and there. And so that's why I think this, this is actually a pretty interesting intellectual quote. And that is pointing out these two main points of control of any society, which are the means of production and the means of cultural control. And the Lanzaret do have a good amount of cultural control over the universe. End of Dunedinia by the Dr. Reverend Lillian Bananamoy. You've been schooled. Now, tell me, <laughs> when he's talking about you must rule, is he talking about trying to find someone who is willing to rule Arrakis? Everyone's like, uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to pass on this one. I'm just going to take my, uh, I'm just going to take my little, my cut of the chome bucks, my little cut of the lands red profits, but I, I'm just not going to do the whole Dune thing. I've well, seen what's happened. It's interesting as a point of like apologetic analysis, right? Does it imply that participating on the like galactic stage is such a burden that he has to rhetoric people into it, right? That like most nobles would in fact be much happier just ruling their home planet and not bothering. Yeah, the, yes. the tale of the Duke Duke, right? I mean, like, it was, it did not go well from him, for him. And he was, like, the most liked of, he was the most liked of the Duke Dukes, right? Like, yeah. Um, also, we've covered, the, like, most also, of the chat. Also, off, off microphone, Josh is giving a little extra Duke Duke shade this week because when we were discussing prior to this episode, do y'all, so we were talking about the trailer Go way, way back into time, thinking about the Doom trailer and Wana. We know that Wana is UA's wife. We in this uh, Muad'Dib uh, Gom Jammer world have been talking about Wana Wellington. Josh, what's her real name? Oh, what's her oh. What's her assumed name? It's it's not her real name. Her assumed right, name. Wana Yui. What? Why did we think it was? What did we think it well, was? So you know, you were. You, I think we we were thinking <laughs> was that you know you had your your. Dr. Yui, we were calling him by his first name. Yes. That's not his first name. That's his last name. And so then when we found out that his name was was Wellington, 
I don't know. At some point, someone some things got crossed. We ended up with Juana Wellington. It just sounded funny, and we just went with it. I caught it at some point during that episode and said something. Well, either kept it or cut it out. I don't know. Um, I think it also came up again during the trailer episode. I have been fully Juana Wellington from start to finish, assuming that that the Benny Jesuits keep their uh, birth names, right? Like, why, why, if you're a Benny Jesuit... As we know, Juana Wellington UA was, I thought it was a hyphenated name. Also, in my defense, I've been living in Kentucky a long time where you often refer to people as like Mr. Josh, Mr. Alec, Mr. Ms. Lily, yeah. right? So it's not. A- yeah, this is a cultural thing. Um, that's why, that's why Duke, <laughs> Duke Lado, Duke Lado was his last name, right? Like he was, he was, wait, but no, but you're just saying the opposite now. You keep no, going I back think... and forth between whether or not you're saying their name is their first name or their last name after their title. I know. Yeah, it's very confusing to live in Kentucky if you haven't learned anything. Wait, wait you thought Duke was, the, but you thought Duke was the name, not the title. It was just Duke I No, Lado. I thought Lado was his last name. I thought Lado, I didn't think. I, I, actually, the actual answer is <laughs> I didn't think he's Duke Lado, he's Paul Atreides, all of these things. People's names are very fluid. What a well he did, which I have gotten a lot of joy out throughout this podcast. May may or may not. We don't know. We don't know if she took his uh, patrilineal. Maybe she took his first name as her last name. It could happen. Oh, that is how it happens. Ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Oh, quest asked and answered. Thanks. Did we do a thirty-second rundown? No, no we didn't. No, you know, when you, when not you at all. Went on this this huge divergence. I thought you were going to apologize to me. I didn't think you were just going to start talking about names. Oh, I said that off air. I don't want to say it on air. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that I got excited because that's where I thought you were going with it. Yeah, I was sort of addicted, Josh, unintentionally, just by being flippant and uh, forgetful and mildly intoxicated, like all of the episodes that we take. So, Josh, uh, what's your beef? <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> I have no beef with you. I think I said something funny after that too, and I don't even remember what it was. Not that's my problem. Stay on brand. <laughs> Um, all right. Tell the coin oh, Alex, yeah. 30 second rundown. Yeah, I don't mind volunteering to do that. 30 second rundown that I will do all of from now on. Um, this chapter basically consists of. Uh, no, I want to do it. <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah, so Jessica is in her room, that was right? The voice. Is this is where we are. I use the voice. Uh, Alex, do the 30 second rundown. I can't remember what Jessica was doing in her room. <laughs> Jessica is sitting in her. Uh, faint, her well, she's sitting in her room. It's kind of funny, right? Because it's like a really nice room. Uh, it it probably right the 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 life's value of a few hundred fremen probably went into all the rugs and tapestries that she has in this room and then she's like god this room is fucking harsh and bullshit <laughs> but it smells rustically of home it, it smells does like piss and body no yeah it, it smells like delightful. uh yeah i think it smells like piss and recycled sweat and of course the ever-present uh huffing gas of the southern desert yeah um, and she's thinking about how Paul is off taking his worm test, even though nobody's told her that, which I guess is kind of foreshadowing for the impending revelation that all Fremen are medium psychic linked by the spice. And she's thinking about how the other, so she's down in the South, right? And it's revealed, oh boy, it's revealed, I'm okay, I swear, it's revealed that in the South... <laughs> Uh, all of the women have gone south from the north, and Jessica rode there on a sick-ass worm howda. Uh, and they're all sitting down there, I guess, complaining about the lack of their uh, 
their petrochemical and body odor smelling uh, Fremen mans. And also apparently plotting against Alia because Alia's real weird. Yeah, everyone hates this two-year-old. Keep yeah, everybody hates this two-year-old. Uh, and then the two-year-old comes in and they have a little bonding moment. And then Farah comes in. Hera. No, why do Hera, I? Hera, Hera, Hera comes in first with uh, with Alia. Right. What is wrong with Lily? She's laughing at how not Alex, this is the worst thirty seconds. That's what I was thinking. What happened to you to say thirty seconds? So I'm bad. taking over this one. All right, take it over. So Hera comes into the room, uh, followed shortly <laughs> after uh, by Alia, um, and they start just having a little chat. Um, there's a little shade thrown, and then basically Hera says something about, uh, yeah, this uh, this little one here, she's really freaking everybody out. And so they have a little conversation yeah. about how... So about Alia. How Alia is freaking everybody out. Um, she then says some things that freaks everybody out in the room a little bit. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's why she's freaking everyone out. She knows everything. <laughs> she might even know more than me, thinks Jessica. Um, and then after they talk a little more, um, someone else comes in the room. It's one of um, Stilgar's wives, Tharthar. And, uh, yeah. They, what a name. Yeah, they have a little conversation, and I then agree. they realize that um, everyone's chatting. And they're chatting about how when Paul gets back from his driving test, uh, he's pretty much going to have to challenge Stilgar, or he's fine. Is really how this one goes. And so, uh, that's it. That's the whole chat. But all the, all of the women in the Fremen CH are like, we don't want this to happen. This is dumb, right? Yeah, this is dumb. This shouldn't happen. Well, the men think it has to happen. And so we're assuming that moving forward, the women are going to step in and be like, look, y'all, this is fucking stupid. I know we did this in the past. Oh, interesting. I thought some of the women were thinking this was necessary, too. But was it all the women? No, I think they're all like, no, it's a new era. Like, we can't afford to lose any strength. There's a quote to that effect of like, we can't lose any strength. We don't. There's no point in losing Stilgar. That doesn't do us anything. That doesn't do us any good. I thought that was the women in the room where it happened, not the rest of the women. I thought that the rest of the rabble were wanting to rouse. Oh, no. That's the thing about being a token other group is like one of you can speak for all of you. <laughs> it's this amazing power. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Weapons of the week. James C. Scott. No, I mean, literally, like, literary structure-wise, right? Jessica represents the off-worlders. And the um, Bennys. Yeah. The Benny G's. Uh, yeah. Hera represents the commoners. And Stilgar's wife represents the nobility. Um, oh! So, Here, this is this boil succinct analysis <laughs> that we're used to, not that nonsense you were trying to talk earlier. I'm going to disagree here with the... Con I mean, maybe she's a commoner, but she's also being referred to as a piece of property won in battle. Alia threw some real shade on that one. Which is most women in that yeah. patriarchal structure. Mm -hmm. I think that is oh, most of... I guess you're right. If, do you think? Oh. I think most commoners in Fremen society <laughs> are uh, susceptible to ownership. Huh. The most uncomfortable thing that I had to relearn in this rereading, if I ever read the book in the first place, was just confronting feminine patriarchy. Do you notice that every podcast is using the Price is Right sad song? Which I, only because I watched a shit ton of Price is Right as a kid, did I know that that noise is. Do you know the noise I'm talking about? Uh, I've been yeah. What? Oh, yeah. I'll give Boyle the clip. Josh Stevens, come on down. He can, he can just put it in here, right? Right here. Joshua Stevens, come on down! 
You're the next contestant on the price is right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that live off group on year was was a blast and I uh I got called down to contestants row. With the original guy? No. With Ron no. Rodney and with Bob Barker? Oh, with Bob Barker and then the guy that was the call Ron Rodney, what it what was his name? I the, the guy The guy who, in the suits who was in the in the booth. Yeah. Josh Stevens, come on down. I, I wonder if he is still the same guy doing it for uh doing it for Drew Carey. I'm not sure. Yeah. Could the guy be. in the suits. All right, speaking anyway. of guys in suits, let's talk about some Fremen. Well, I just wanted to bring up, speaking of Fremen uh, patriarchalism, mm-hmm. the scene in the last chapter where Chani just shivs the guy in the hallway. Oh, right at the beginning of the chapter, right? Paul's tripping balls. All Chani right, we need, to, we need to do the, the, end of we the, need to do the full arc. Well, middle of the chapter. We need to do the full arc. Oh, it is middle Paul's of the Paul's out there. He's going to ride the worm. He gets out. He's like, I got to ride this. We don't actually know if he rides the worm or not. Everyone's hyping him up. Chani's there to be his observer. She's like, I need to be an impartial observer. But I love you. you. They get out there. He's doing the word. And then at some point we... No, I'm imp- impartial. No, I'm impartial. She's like... Sealed. Yeah. Like wall of emotion descends. <laughs> now I'm like an officious... <laughs> Did y'all read um, Everything's Illumin... No, what's the book? Where it's like, officious big... Sammy, James- Sammy Davis Jr. Jr. is the dog. And it's uh, Everything's Illuminated, I think is the book. Jonathan Safford for... We tried and died. Do y'all not read books? <sighs> Welcome to another segment of the dweebs tried and died with the Dr. Reverend Mother. China became an officious bitch, which is a funny reference to another book. Um, <laughs> yeah. So she gets out there and Paul gets woken up and like, oh, oh, Johnny's out there killing some dude. She's like, what? And he goes out and she's like, yeah, I killed him. Like that's, she's like, yeah, he I killed, you, I killed he, this, he called this, you this guy. Out and he called you out. So I, we, I cut his we ass. We can't just have everybody calling you out. Like, if you had to fight this guy, then someone else is going to want to fight you. No, I'm going to stop this right now because if I kill him, no one else is going to want this shit to happen to them. No one wants to be be but, killed by Muddy's woman. Which I was so into it until exactly that moment. <laughs> oh, Josh is scratching his neck like a gangster. He's like, oh, Ooh. that's my oh. ride or die Chani right there. No, it should be enough. Of course, Chani. She's your right-hand woman. She's your equal. Nope, that's not what we learned in this chapter. We learned that Chani is like, well, the shame of being killed by Muad'Dib's woman is so bad that they wouldn't even want to risk that to get at you. Which it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, she's really calling out the patriarchy here. Is she, or is she just reproducing it? No, she's she's like playing them. I think she's participating. I think she's participating. She's like, no, Paul. She. They even say like it was part of her sotto voce whisper. Like, Paul, you can't know this. I mean, no one else can know this, but I know that if they lose your woman, that's so humiliating that no one else will want to challenge you. And he was like, oh, that's right. I guess since Chani's been fighting my fights for me, it's dropped off a lot. Yeah, because she's a fucking badass. It should just be like, man, his right-hand person is a fucking savage. Like, I, I should Right, it should just be, if you go near, if you go near Moadib, any of his retainers might try to kill you first, yes. right? They'll cure your ass. Yes, Alec. And yes. at what point will the Fremen realize that a woman can do that too and not be shamed by it and still keep challenging Madib? Well, from your mouth to God's ears, Josh, we are waiting for that day here in 2020. Any, <laughs> any fucking day now. Any fucking day. Uh, try and die. 
Try and die 2021. That's maybe our platform. The Benny Jesuit party for 2021. <laughs> When's the next midterm? 2022. Okay, so I think I've got it. I think I've got it. Pass, pass in the future. I'm going to try one more time. Okay. I've, I've got, I, I think I've got it. I think I finally got the thread. I think I, I'm pulling on it. Okay. So it all has to come down to what we were talking about, about the solidifying the future visions, right? If he gets a solid one that feels like a memory, he knows that, <laughs> he knows that it's a real thing, right? Wait, is this not, is that part not making sense? It, it does, just, just sounds like, yeah, it sounds like it's about just... stool. <laughs> okay. So you're going to make me lose my thread. Okay. I'm going to be really, okay. So part of this has to do with when he's able to identify like a future event that's real, it's absolutely going to happen. What really does it for him is seeing the threads of the past that led up to it, right? So if you can see the events that you know have happened in the past all leading up to this future event, it becomes solidified. So when you're able to see the past as part of the future, it's part of that memory, that that whole timeline. That's that that's the real prescience. That's like when he's done it perfectly, when he's done it right. So when he hits the top of that wave, you can actually see it and you can see those past events as part of the future, right? They're they're just like the the events that lead up to it. You can see that whole line. You can see the past as part of the future. You can see the ripples leading right to. The yeah, you you can say that eight different more ways. <laughs> but... Shit, no, it's not making sense. <laughs> no, no, it's not that it doesn't make sense. I don't help me, Boyle. I don't understand what you're what insight you're trying to give us. That seems pretty like what you're saying right now seems very reasonable. And not terribly illuminatory. <laughs> was not what I said the first time. You mean you mean in episode fifteen? Yes. Not at all. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. Okay. Oh, then yes, you made a simple cogent point in episode fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I was trying to do, Boyle. Uh, the amount by which you were impressed with what you did not successfully say in episode 15 made it seem like you were really going to blow some shit open. Well, I think also it had to do with the fact that you seemed not on board with that line. Because that's not what you said in episode 15. No, not my line. The line in the book. All right. All right. My dweebs. My dweebs. My dweebs. (laughs) Much like we were writing the quest and valleys of... Paul Muad'Dib. We haven't even talked about the fact that he insists on having the hyphenated name. And as a feminist, I am very supportive of hyphenated names as we have not come up with a silo norm that supports what are better. You talking about? But Paul Muad'Dib this is, not, is a this shitty is not hyphenated, hyphenated name. First of all, is it? No, it's in one of the chapters. Give me a page. It's like Sh- Paul Muad'Dib. Show me. Well, I mean, Paul they Muad'Dib. come right after each other, but is it actually hyphenated? Because I listen to this shit. <laughs> well, then why are you daring to contradict her? Because sometimes first, I read it. First page. Ultimate Dude Compendium 484. Under the quote, the very chapter yep, that we're doing. Hyphenated. Or maybe the one afterwards. Wow, is it? Hi. Okay, sweet. Okay, so now, so now let's talk about hyphenated. Because now that it's hyphenated. Ooh, Josh is heated. Mm. All right, bring the heat. Bring the this heat. Is, this is going back to your not knowing first names from last names thing. Um, Paul sure. Mondebus is two first names. It's hyphenated first names. <laughs> right. Usually, we talk about hyphenated extra, names. Extra. You talk about hyphenated last names. Right. He does the most. Paul does too much. He does too much. He's Paul Muadib, uh, Quisset Hedersack, Arrakis, Atreides. No, he he dropped the Atreides. He's basically now a hyphenated Madonna. Prince? 
Right. Yeah. He is. That's 100% what? what it is. He's now Prince hyphen Madonna. He has a secret first name. And now his last name is Prince Cher. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, parentheses, no one can know Usul. Mm-hmm. Probably do. Yeah. Can you put that, whatever you just did on the internet later? <laughs> when you're taking your clothes? <laughs> yes, that. I am hyphening my face in my hand. This is secret. This is secret Fremen power. Secret name. And you gotta, you gotta do that every time. Oh, do y'all have any uh, secret nicknames? Do you have any nicknames that if they got out in public, you would be like, oh, I don't want So we're going to give them up right now? Is that how this is working? No, I'm just first step asking, do you have them? No. I mean, kind of. That if someone at work called you by that name, something that people you know call you, that if someone at work came into the office one day and was like, what up, Boyle? But some equivalent of it, you'd be like, oh. Who did you talk oh, to? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Super now. Okay. Really? No, Alec? You don't have any, like... I mean, okay. I guess if somebody gonna... walked into my office or got on a Zoom call through my work and was yeah. like, hey, Larry, I'd be like, whoa. Oh, that Larry is your secret Fremen name, isn't it? Yeah. I don't even know the secret Fremen name. But I wouldn't be I'm like... Gonna, a... Can I give you the whole the whole secret Fremen name? And this is... this is You're talking to Dr. Larry Bonsai, DDS. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I did not know you were a, a dental dentist. <laughs> yeah, doctor, uh, dental act, surgeon. He's uh, unnecessary dental surgery. <laughs> yeah, it's a DDUS <laughs> <laughs> or DUS. Because initially, like I read these things, I'm like, oh, a secret name that only the people you know you can call you by. I'm like, and then I thought about it some more. I'm like, no, we have that. So here's my version of it. I went Facebook incognito because I work in a public institution and I don't really need people to know my business. And so my Facebook name, I changed it to a college nickname that carried on for a long time. And so there are people, there are people from college who know me as that. And if they see it, they know it affectionately. And then I walk, but because I'm also the people that I friend on that Facebook, this is like modern day equivalents are either people from my immediate social life or people from my like non-professional life who I enjoy and who can know anything about me. I don't care. They can know my politics. They can know whatever. And so a good portion of that is the women that I do hip hop dance aerobics with, (laughs) which I have been doing for like 10 years at this point. And I am one of the only white women that goes to this class and it's great and I love it. And it's like a beloved community to me. I've been to the instructor's wedding and her baby shower and like all these things. When I go there, because a lot of the women in that class know me through the Facebook group, they call me by my college nickname, which is very strange, which I will not divulge here because please don't find me on Facebook. But it is it, initially it was jarring. I was like, if someone at work called me by that name, I would be like, who, who, who told you? Who told you? So it's like these, oh. these traditions are actually really real. Yeah. Like, who did you get my face? Are you friends with me on Facebook? And I don't sure. realize it. Did you sneakily seek up on me? So, Josh, do you have a Fremen name? So, not quite like that, because it's more of like a, a pet name, right, between me and my wife. Oh, what's Chani's Usul name? So, that's not quite like a, tri- that's not like, that's not like a, yeah, it's not like a, a tribal name like yours and, uh, yeah. and Royals. Yeah, mine would mean someone had gotten a hold of, like, right, a group photo from summer camp, ninth grade. I guess I had a nickname oh in, like, junior high and high school that i guess maybe could have 
could have been that, but I, I it didn't it didn't follow me like I think uh, yours has. Yeah, I will not. Oh, we haven't really said much about Dune, have we? Yes, Alia. How fucking creepy Alia is. I just want to talk about her. So this is the. Why is everyone calling this two year old creepy? She's awesome. She is awesome, but then I don't... Josh, you're the only one of this triumvirate that has a child. Can you imagine your child at two years old, like, drinking an espresso and yes. being like, well, Yes, mom. actually, I'm going to give you a story from today. <laughs> today. My four-year-old. Uh, we, we haven't really been running many errands together or going out to places um, for many months, so I had to run an errand uh, to drop off a package to ship something out. Um, and so I picked my son up from school and we went to go do that. I was like, you're, you're okay with coming with me to, to FedEx? And he's like, I don't FedEx. Like he doesn't know what FedEx is. Um, he's like, I was like, you want to come inside? He's like, oh, I love going in- inside. Yeah. And I was like, okay, here you're like missing. Going. <laughs> Inside's the best. We never, <laughs> we go, never inside. go inside. Yeah. <laughs> so we do that. He's super happy. I get him back in his car seat afterwards and he's looking up at the sign on the, on the wall and he goes, E, he's just learning how to spell and stuff. He's like, E-X. That E-X has an arrow. You know, I was like, what? You you can see the arrow? Like, no <laughs> one can see the arrow. You are a genius. <laughs> like, my kid has had has definitely been part of this water of life thing because no one sees that freaking... I'm just bragging now, right? Um, yeah. So, no, okay. it's freaking cool. All right. So you've got a St. Alia of the Arrow. Mm-hmm. Yep, St. Asher of the Arrow. In your own mm-hmm. work. So this is this is what I like about this chapter. Alia is sufficiently creepy. So it opens in Jessica. She's doing her thing. Moments I want to talk about before we forget. She's just sitting there thinking like, oh, man, coffee. And then a hand comes in through a curtain and just deposits <laughs> a cup of deliciously spiced it. coffee. I picture it quite like that. What did you picture? It was exactly that. Like the curtain parts, just the hand comes in. <laughs> deposits the coffee and she even remarks she's like god i love these fremen they know that even though i've one of them i don't really want to talk to them they knew they knew to just bring me the coffee and fuck off no i mean and i have never resonated more with a character than that moment i just want to sit here and greg does this sometimes while we're recording while just and he'll come in and he'll just fill this is my partner greg he'll just fill my wine glass while we're recording i'm like this thing you know, I just pictured it as like someone kind of like quickly and unobtrusively came in with the coffee service. Jessica got her coffee and she's like, I was just thinking about how cool it would be to get coffee. But like the idea of like the slow motion uh, hand just coming through the curtain with the coffee and Jessica kind of looking out of the side of her eye like. Yeah. And then she drinks the coffee and she thinks, what a luxury. What kind of what kind of amazing life am I living that I can just drink this cup of coffee and not think I'm going to be Poison. Which is, because. see, now that's a great thought because think about where she yeah. just was a few years ago. Exactly, like, it's amazing. Room, There's right? so much we learn <sighs> for like one day. So while she, li- she while she's in this shitty cave with like carpets and things, like she's actually living a pretty relaxed, amazing life. She's got to have a daughter. She is like a revered Reverend Mother. She's getting her coffee delivered her by the Adams family hand. This is coming in and delivering it. She's having a great time. And so then she hears a birth celebration, and then Alia and, is it Hannah or whoever, Paul's... Hera. Hera. What do we call her? Hera. Like, how do we even refer Hera. to her? Oh. Servant. No, I mean, like, what is her position? She's Paul's it's servant. It's very confusing. She's like... No, 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 no. There's a, there's a word for, there is a word for this. Servant only because she killed Jameis. Oh, God. 
I'm so yes. afraid of why it. Why are you afraid of it? Because it's all gross. Like, why is Hera Paul's property? He killed her husband. And now she's like, no, I'm totally and utterly devoted to you. Yeah, I'm just going to let that ride out. Ganima. Let's just think about Ganima. how fucked up this situation. Oh, oh well, right. that clarifies it. Thank My you, Josh. Ganima. That's really... That is, Ali's, anyway, that's Ali's dig. Hera comes... So this is what I imagine. Ali walks in. She's like a two-year-old that's like taking off her COVID mask because that's all I can imagine anyone right now. She comes and she takes off her COVID mask like a doctor in the ER room. She's like, oh, Ma, you wouldn't believe what just happened. Hera comes in behind her. She says, my brother's Ganema is annoyed with me, was the words that she says. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like really thin, like, oh, Harris. Can you say it like Harris a two-year-old? Harris being a pain in the ass. No. <laughs> with a half lisp? <laughs> yeah, that's more your territory. You have the child. I do not. <laughs> so she comes in, Hera comes in behind her, and Hera's like, this bitch. <laughs> I, what? Don't try to insult me. I know my place, is what she right. says. And then they have this whole conversation. Ali of the knife like creeps up on her mom and they hold hands and we learn that they have like some emotional connection when they touch, which is like, oh, all sorts of things. What I'm unclear and what I need the dweebs to clarify for me is what do the Fremen know and not know about Ali? Because it comes clear at the end of the chapter that they never understood, but they're capable of math and they have an intimate knowledge of gestation cycles. Like, why did the Fremen not know, know that time. Jessica was pregnant with at the Ali? Time. They didn't know at the time, but they're acting like it's a revelation now that she's two years right. old. Right. I agree that it's weird that they are so weirded out by this when, like, everybody should be like, oh, yeah, it turns out she was pregnant when she took the water of right. life. Like, everybody should be like, oh, that's why your kid's fucking weird. They're, they're still freaked out by witches. I reread the chapter four times to try and figure it out. They're still freaked out by, by regular witches. Now you've got a two-year-old witch who's, like, a super powerful two-year-old witch who can, like, talk and knows everything and she says what have what have you done to it what did you do and she, and Hera says well other than not playing with the children she just kind of lurked about while this other woman had a baby and then she told everyone that this baby looked like another baby from like 10,000 years ago and they're like what <laughs> that is a weird thing to say in defense of the Fremen, Ali is fucking creepy. Like, they're not wrong. And she made the baby stop crying with, like, her weirding ways, right? And you're not supposed to stop yeah. a Fremen baby from crying. They're supposed to cry it on out. That's the only time in their whole life they're ever going to cry. Well, also interesting point, Alia fucking knows that. She does know that. Right? If Alia can remember a baby 10,000 years ago, she knows that this baby is supposed to cry till it's done. So she's antagonizing them for some reason. <laughs> Okay, 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 okay. So, but then she gets really sad when she's like, "The kids think I'm a freak." Well, this and is then, just in her blood, then, right? Like this is what Paul said you know, <laughs> two years ago, right? I mean, literally passed she's down this moody. genetic she's memory. She's got that Atreides ducal this mood. Genetic memory. Oh, she's just having a ducal right. mood. Right. No amount of Benny oh. Gesserit knowledge can overcome the power of a ducal <laughs> mood. <laughs> uh, if only she hadn't known her father. I do love throughout this chapter, though, like we're learning about Jessica thinking about Paul and his worm ride and Alia and, and the 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 grandson, Leto II, which we don't have time to talk about tonight. But she, and then she's like, uh, Paul knows that I don't like Chani. And then it's Jessica trying to convince herself like, I love Chani. She's trying to voice herself. This is how I read this chapter. She's trying to do an <laughs> internal the voice to herself like. I love Chani. And even <laughs> Hara's like, didn't catch that. you know, 
Yeah, yeah. I agree 100%. That's this fantastic. This is my version of it. Like, no, no, no. She's fine. She's she's fine. So, no, Harris says, like, basically, why? And she's like, well, I just want what's best for my kid. And she's like, well, you know who also wants what's best for your kid? Chani. So maybe you two should team up. Yeah. Because she would even uh, side with you against Paul if it was in Paul's best interest. Which is brilliant writing. I love that it's part of the great. chapter and I fucking hate it. Yeah, exactly. What who would I wouldn't right? I wouldn't team up with Jesus what Christ. Is, who the fuck is she going Who is she going to marry Paul off to in the middle of the desert? She's still So this is I think that's that's where we should see that Jessica still thinks she's going to get back into the empire. Like sure they're out in the southern erg, they're in the deep erg, and she's the reverend of all these things, but there's going to be a path back in, and it's going to be through patriarchal lineage and marriage and all these things. She's not thinking about desert power. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. And then, we missed in the previous chapter, yes, speaking of desert, desert power, power, I don't want to miss yes. this, the sand shanty. So, so <laughs> Paul is feeling sad, and Chani sees him, not a sea shanty. Not a space shanty, but it's sand shanty. And he describes it as sounding like the rhythm of walking on the sand. But then I thought all we know about the Fremen is that they walk arrhythmically. So is this like an acid jazz Fremen sand oh. shanty arrhythmic? Yes, it's nonsense. It's like a um, uh, like beat poetry. Oh, I don't even need to because <laughs> yes. it's not it's not. A Gurney Halleck original. I don't need to do There you it. go. It's, it's not a, it's oh, not thank a God. Maybe Lily really can do it as beat poetry. Would you please? Or one of our listeners, if you are a fan of acid jazz and arrhythmic poetry, please send us your sand <laughs> Um Space brought to you this segment. And, and you'll get a, if you, the, here's a new contest. Send us your sand shanties. You'll be sponsored by Space Bags. And you'll win an all-expense paid trip. To the Empire Guild, uh, Chum, sponsored by Chumbucks of your choice. It works. Yeah, Space, space, space will pay for a Dune trailer uh, to uh, just transport you right up there. Yeah. yeah. All right. I don't feel like we did justice to these chapters, but... Um, well, you know, we came back to the Sands Fancy, which was uh, really just to get Paul all pumped up to call Shai Halud. Did we even talk about that? Shai Halud. Shai Halud remains off page for the entire chapter. I'm gonna. Right. Well, so well, hold on. We, we, but we've got segue. we've got a huge cresting wave of Shai All Halud right. sand. Time to conclude. Here's our last segment. One more thing with our Gurney Alec, Josh Stevens. Shai Halud's coming up. What's our one more thing before they join us next week on Gom Jabber? Looks like this was called the big one. <laughs> <laughs> We've got worm sign, folks. <laughs> Later, nerds. 